Thanks, Gastons, for reading our kids' story. What a great story. What a great reminder of the, the discovery of the wise men. At this point, the kids are dismissed. So if you want to find another tablet or another screen uh, and watch that kids' program that's been prepared for you, now's the time for you to go and do that and enjoy uh, your time doing that. If you've been with us for uh, the past couple months, you know we've gone through the Advent season and the theme of our sermons has been all about waiting. Uh, We spent some time going through the Old Testament and looking at God's people as they waited for the Savior to come. They waited for, for God to fulfill his promises that he made to Adam and Eve and others after them. And So they waited year after year for God to be with them. They waited for the distance to go away, for the estrangement and the exile to end. They anticipated a time in which God would come and fix everything that had gone wrong in the world. And it was a lot of waiting. Uh, That word Advent that we continue to use really means coming. And what we celebrated during the Christmas season is that Jesus was born as a baby to Mary and Joseph, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that meant that that long wait was now over. Jesus had come to accomplish the rescue that he had promised. But then as you read the gospels, uh, after the, the resurrection, Jesus ascends back into heaven And once again, he asks God's people to wait again for his coming. He promises that he will come at some point. He will come to bring an end to all things. And that promise means something to you and I as well. So when you think about it, you and I, we live in between two advents, in between Christ's first coming and his second. And so the question becomes for you and I, What does it mean for God's people to wait for his second coming? What does it mean for God's people to live within the in-betweens? And that's what uh, our message is about this morning and our passage helps us to understand. So this morning, we're gonna be reading from 2 Peter uh, chapter three, and I'm gonna be reading uh, verses one to 13. So you can follow along in the screen or grab your copy of God's word. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 13. This now is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heaven will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is God's word. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you as we consider what it means to wait upon you as we consider what it means that you are returning and what that means for our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Well, many of you know that the new year is often uh, a time for self-reflection and hopefully you've had uh, a few minutes to really reflect on your life. And often at this time of year, uh, we think back on the year that was and the kind of people we were in 2020, which proved to be a very challenging and difficult year. Uh, But we also like to look forward. We like to think and reflect on the type of person that we would like to be in 2021 in this new year. And I think that's a bit about what 2 Peter is really talking about in this section. Because the question becomes, in light of the fact that we are in between, that we are in between those two advents, in light of the fact that we are in between, what kind of people should we be? And I think this passage answers that question. It says, God's people are called to wait for Christ's return with urgency and with expectancy. And that's what I'd like us to unpack over the next few minutes. But let's start with the fact that we are called to wait for Christ's return. Verse 10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. One of the things that the scriptures are crystal clear about is this, is that Jesus is coming again. If you read the Old Testament, they talk about Jesus's second coming as the day of the Lord. And you see that theme all throughout the Old Testament. Once you get into the New Testament, you you read about Jesus and you see that he taught consistently and regularly about his second coming. In fact, it's one of the themes that he talked more about than other things and other teachings. He taught several parables about it, and then he gave very straightforward teaching about his return. And then even after Jesus ascended back into heaven, the New Testament epistles and the first followers of Jesus Christ they talked repeatedly about Christ's return. 
And then you come to the book of Revelation at the end of your Bibles, and it describes Christ's return in very vivid pictures and in colorful images. So all that to say is that the the fact that Christ is returning is one of the clearest teachings in all of the scriptures. And yet, despite all of that, I know my heart, despite all that, we are quick to forget about it. We're quick to not really even think about it. And that's why Peter writes this section. He says in verse one, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So what Peter is saying is that this truth that Christ is returning is so essential that we constantly need to remind ourselves of it. It needs to be at the front of our minds all of the time. And the truth is, is that uh, all of this is a gentle reminder to us that, that God hasn't given up on us. He will return. He has not given up on us. It's a reminder that everything that happens, everything in the day-to-day and on the global scale, everything that happens is under his control. But more than anything, the reminder that Christ is returning is a reminder of hope. It's a reminder of hope. John Calvin said that that quietness and waiting are the peculiarities of hope. And I think that's a beautiful way of thinking about both waiting and hope. And so what Peter's saying is that we need to constantly remind ourselves that Christ will return and that we need to wait for it. We don't know when it will be, It could be a thousand years from this moment, or it could be this afternoon. Peter even refers to the coming of Christ like a thief. We don't know when it'll happen, but we know that it is certain. And so that imminent return of Christ should always be on the front of our minds. Again, Calvin says, we we can't let our minds grow dim or rusty or drowsy when it comes to this truth. And I firmly believe that if Christ's return is always on the front of our minds, don't you think that's going to change the way that you and I live our lives? Don't you think that's going to have a tremendous impact? Think about it this way. Take whatever New Year's resolution you may or may not have made uh, for this new year. So take that resolution and then filter it through the truth of Christ's imminent return. And we have to ask ourselves, if Christ may be coming back today or even tomorrow, then what is really important about our lives? So take those resolutions and filter them through uh, the, the truth of Christ's imminent return. Filter the way you, you spend your money or the way you spend your time through this important truth. Filter your priorities through the truth of Christ's return. And if you do so, you better believe that it will change the way you live in the now. You better believe it will change your priorities in your life. Because I believe that the truth of Christ's imminent return puts into perspective what really matters in life and what doesn't. And so friends, I think we're called to deeply live 
within the truth of Christ's imminent return. Well, the question is, what does that look like? Sometimes it's hard to flesh these things out. So what does that waiting look like? Well, I think the first thing we have to realize is that we are called to wait, yes, but we are called to wait with urgency. And I think that's what Peter is getting at in verses 11 and 12. He says this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Now that's some pretty vivid imagery uh, that, that Peter offers to us. And it made me think about uh, the old sermon by Jonathan Edwards that's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, maybe you studied it in English literature class at some point in your life. But if you've ever read it, you know that, that the best describer is intense. It is a very intense sermon. And the story behind that sermon is that uh, Edwards himself was, was pretty stoic and unemotional as he delivered this sermon to his audience. But the images and the pictures that he presents are so intense that they had a tremendous effect on those that heard it. Uh, it becomes this quintessential example of a hellfire and brimstone, uh, brimstone Puritan sermon. Now, if you've ever read it before, you know, uh, you don't hear a whole lot of sermons like that nowadays. But that doesn't mean the content of Edward's sermon wasn't true. See, Edwards wanted us to understand, and what Peter wants us to understand is that Christ will return. And that's important because of this. The gospel tells us that those who have placed their faith in Christ upon his return will reap eternal blessing. But the gospel also tells us that those who have trusted in Christ with their lives and had their sins forgiven will experience all the blessings of the kingdom. They will be ushered into eternal peace. But those who have rejected Christ, those who have walked away from Christ will receive judgment. That's what that day of the Lord language is. It's a day to be feared for those who have rebelled against God, for those who have refused to trust Christ with their lives, who refused to, to submit their lives to him, then that day will be the day that they receive the just punishment for their sins. And so friends, there is no middle ground. There is no plan C in this broader plan. Those who are in Christ will receive the full blessings of God, but those who have rejected Christ will receive the wrath, the just wrath that they deserve due to their sins. And so as you and I think about Christ's return and as we wait for Christ's return, we should wait with urgency because our situation apart from Christ is very urgent. Now, Peter in this section talks about God's delay in verses eight and nine. And he says that God has delayed his return in order to give time and space for people to, to repent and to be reconciled to God. But what Peter also implies is this, that time is getting shorter each moment that passes. 
that time is finite. It will come to an end. And so friends, the truth is that God's grace is available to you. God's grace is overwhelming. It's covering of all of our deepest sins. It's, it's deeper than, and wider than we can even imagine. It chases after us. It, it forgives our sins, but a time is coming when that grace will no longer be available to you. And so the, the scriptures tell us, repent, turn to Christ and place your faith in him because time is short. And so we are to wait with urgency, but that sense of urgency isn't just reserved for those who don't know Christ because Peter says that everyone, whether you know Christ or not, everyone needs to be prepared. Verse 14, which we didn't read, says this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I want you to imagine for a second that an honorable or a famous guest is coming over to your house tonight for dinner. And of course, you've probably thought in advance about the preparations for this event, and you might spend the rest of your day today cleaning the house and preparing the best meal that you have and buying the finest wine, because at the end of the day, you want to be ready for this honorable guest to come to your home. You might even feel a sense of urgency of all the things that you have to do in order to prepare for this honored guest to come. Well, what Peter says here is that we need to prepare. We need to prepare our hearts and the environment of our souls for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, it means for you that maybe there's a relationship uh, that needs to be mended. Maybe there's some sort of sinful habit in your life that you've cherished, but it needs to be addressed. Maybe there's a conversation with someone about something that you've just put on delay for too long and that needs to happen. Well, friends, know that the time is short. Ask yourself, how do you want Christ to find you? What shape do you want your heart and the environment of your soul to be in? when Christ returns. May it be said of us that when Christ returns, that our conduct, our hearts, and our uh, everything about us show that we were ready for him to return. And so all of us are called to wait with urgency. But I think there's one final thing that Peter outlines for us here. And that is we are all called to wait, not just with urgency, but also with expectancy or with expectation. Look at verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, uh, on Christmas Eve, we put a quote on the front of the bulletin, um, which we do at most of our worship services. But uh, on Christmas Eve, we put a quote from a poem that is called, O Come Divine Messiah. Uh, it's a poem, a Christmas poem that was written uh, in the 17th century by a French poet named Simon Joseph Pellegrin. And the stanza that we included on the bulletin said this. It said, O come divine Messiah, the world of silence waits the day 
when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness shall flee away. Now this poem, which is beautiful, is, uh, is regularly understood to be a Christmas poem, but I believe that the reach of this poem moves beyond just Christmas. Because think of that line, when hope shall sing its triumph and sadness flee away. Now, thanks to the first coming of Jesus Christ, I believe that we get a taste of what those words are talking about. But the fullness of those words and the fullness of those promises will not be realized until Jesus Christ comes again. It's like we get to taste the appetizer now, but the full feast awaits us at the end. And so you and I, we are called to wait with hunger expectancy. We're called to wait with expectation, to wait for the final consummation of God's great plan of redemption. We can get a sweet taste of it now, but the full feast awaits us in the future. I think one of the most powerful, beautiful, and memorable pictures of Christ's return is a promise that's offered to us in Revelation chapter 21, but you see it in other parts throughout the scripture. And that is this common picture that when Christ returns, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Just think about that, that Christ personally will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You see, Christ's first coming gave us the hope of that truth. God had accomplished everything in that first coming, everything that was needed for our rescue. God came, became one of us. He paid the debt. He offers us his righteousness by faith. And all of that is tremendous good news. That is the power of the gospel message. But the truth is we still cry. We still cry. We don't cry as those people who don't have any hope but we still cry. And that's because the world in which we live in is still broken. We deal with the carnage of that everywhere, whether it's societal carnage, whether it's relationship carnage, you name it. We deal with the implications of that every day. We deal with the consequences of our own sin. And as we look at the world, we recognize that it is still full of pain and darkness. But one day, Christ will come again and all of those things will be gone. God will come and consummate his plan of redemption and he will personally wipe away all of our tears. So friend, know this, Christ is coming again. If you don't know him, know that his grace is available to you. It's bigger than your sin but also know that the time is short and the urgency is real. If you are God's child, then know this. Your job now is to wait with urgency and expectancy for the final coming of your savior. And that is who God calls you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, powerful reminder from the book of 2 Peter that you are coming again. 
Father, we confess that we often forget that truth and then refuse to live in light of it. We act as if we are guaranteed tomorrow and the day after and the year after that, but we're guaranteed none of those things. There is a great urgency to your return. So Father, whether you come back tomorrow or whether you come back in a thousand years, may we live waiting with a sense of urgency and with a a sense of expectancy. Father, we look forward to that day when you will come again and wipe away all our tears. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.